It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Restoring order to your financial chaos. Retirement, investing, taxes. You've got financial questions. He's got financial answers. It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Welcome to the Money Guy Podcast. This is Brian, your host. By day, remember I am a certified financial planner, a certified public accountant, and a personal financial specialist. As I've already mentioned, this is not my day job. By day, I do the full wealth management, and then I've just for giggles, I've decided to do this podcast, and it's kind of grown and taken on a life of its own. The whole purpose of this show is to help you restore order to your financial chaos. And today's topic, we're going to be talking about how to choose mutual funds. Because remember, the last podcast we did on the when, where, and how to invest. And we're just going a little bit deeper into the world of investing. But before we do that, I'm going to kind of double back and go over some of the basic concepts and go through some definitions of investing. Because I've gotten some emails from you guys that make me think that we do need to do kind of a real quick review. Uh, Before I do that, let's go through the intro stuff. First, I want to give a big thank you out to Gwinnett Federal Credit Union because they've placed a link to the money guy on their honey homepage, and you can go. They actually have a, a my mug on the front page with a link, and I think that's just awesome. We've got other outlets that have been talking to us about uh, I don't know if syndicates the word, but um, getting the word out about the Money Guy podcast by providing links on their homepage um, or putting actually past shows on their pages. So if you are interested, feel free. There's no charge. I don't mind. You're not going to hurt my feelings one bit if you want to go out there and tell the world about the Money Guy podcast. To that end, if you want to contact the Money Guy podcast, you can contact me at my email address. That's Brian, B-R-I-A-N, at money-guy.com. Or you can... um, you can also just go to our website and check out the show notes. It's money-guy.com. And one of the great things about the, the website is that if you put your email address on the left side of the web drive, website, we have a sign-up place where you can get emails every time we do an updated show with all the show notes that actually includes the links too because you're going to notice a lot of times when I do these shows I am going to provide you websites or, or tell you things that you or talk about articles that I've read and I always link these things on the website so it's just a, a kind of a, an easy way to keep yourself up to date with the show. I also um, want to give you guys a big thank you for putting all those comments out there on iTunes. I think that's a big part of our success is if you go out there and look at iTunes, we have one of the we have mo- the most comments, I believe, you know, are, are one of the leading sites with all the comments on it. And I think y'all are a big part of that. So if you do like what you, you hear on the Money Guy podcast, please feel free to go out there to iTunes and um, let everybody else know what they might be missing by not listening to this show. Okay, so let's let's talk about investing. On the last podcast, as I've already explained, I've all, I, I talked about when, where, and how of investing. But based upon some of the emails I've received from you guys, I need to review a few basic concepts of investing. First, let's go ahead and play this definition game. And all these definitions that I'm about to go over were provided by about.com. So um, there's a link on the, on the website for that as well. Let's talk about stocks. First, I'm, I'm going to give you my definition of stocks. Stocks is you have ownership in a company. It's, um, it's no different than if you know somebody down the street or maybe yourself own a small business. When you go incorporate that small business, you are issued shares. Um, it's no different in the public world where when you buy a share of stock, you're just buying a, a, a small portion of that publicly traded company. Now, the actual technical definition is 
instruments that signify an ownership or equity in a company. These are purchased as shares whose value can increase or decrease as the value of the company's assets increase or decrease. Now, the other topic I want to talk about is bonds. Bonds are essentially just debt instruments. They are, all you're doing is you're lending money to a company, and they are promising to pay you back at a certain date. And throughout that time, a lot of times they will also pay you interest payments or coupon payments. So um, the technical definition, a written promise to repay the principal amount upon maturity and to make a specified interest payment to the bondholder. A bond is a debt of obligation, and the interest and principal, when due, are payable to the holder. The next topic is mutual funds. I think mutual funds are great because what they do is they allow you to essentially pull your assets to, if you don't have a ton of assets, to get a great deal of diversification with a very simple investment tool. And um, I know they're not as sexy as they used to be because there's a lot of um, new strategies out there. There's these exchange-traded funds, ETFs, which I do use for some certain um, asset classes. There's also, now you have these uh, wealth managers out there that are that are pushing the the separate portfolios where you can go buy a basket of actual individual stocks that you own and there's tax benefits and other things but i will tell you there are some downsides to those um separate accounts is the fact that you don't like what the manager's doing you want to get out of it you're stuck with uh selling a portfolio of probably 50 to 60 stocks Whereas if you don't like what the manager at the mutual fund's doing, you just sell that one fund and um, you're done. And a lot of times they, they, they don't have transaction fees, so there's no cost. Whereas if you sell 50 to 60 stocks, stocks you can see how that, that cost can add up. And plus you're getting inundated with all kind of paperwork constantly with prospectuses, proxies for those companies when you own individual stocks. It's just a pain after a while. And that's why I think that most investors, even though it's not sexy, the mutual fund is really the thing for you. The actual technical um, answer is an investment tool that allows investors to participate in a diversified portfolio with other investors. A company collects the funds of several investors and then uses the funds in a variety of investments. Each investor shares in the gains and or losses. Okay, now we we know what a mutual fund is. We've talked about a mutual fund, by the way, can be held in an IRA account. It can be held in your 401k. It can be held in a taxable account. It can be held anywhere. That's um, it can you know, mutual fund can buy stocks, it can buy bonds, it can buy real estate, it can buy commodities, it can buy gold, it, it can buy anything out there. I mean, it's amazing what you can do with a mutual fund. So, um, a no load fund and no load just stands for there's no commission. And, and the technical definition, just as I've just said, is a mutual fund that does not charge any commissions. A loaded fund, if you're wondering what the, the commission funds are called, they're called loaded funds. Obviously, no load, no commission, loaded with commission. And loaded funds are where you get the alphabet soup, where you have the A shares, the B shares, the C shares. And now mutual fund companies have gotten all creative because they have different classes. They've got M, P, X, R, Z. I mean, they got all kind of crazy share names now. Um, the basic is A which means it has a front-end load usually somewhere between 3 to 5%. A B-share are the bad ones. Stay the heck away from B-shares because what they'll do is they try to say they're like no-loads because they have no front-end commission. They only have a commission on the back end if you sell within the first six years. Usually it's a, like a ladder where, you know, the longer you stay in, the less the commission is. But to think about this, your account goes up in value, then you sell because the manager leaves. You're paying a higher commission because... 
you're going off of the appreciated value. Not to mention B shares had the dreaded problem of is that they overweight the expense ratio. Um, and remember, the internal expenses is what they pay the manager for trading costs. You know, it's just all the internal things that are running the mutual fund. There's no commissions involved with an internal expense, but it's not uncommon to see B shares that have internal expenses over 2%, and that's outrageous. And then you got C shares, which are kind of a hybrid in between. Uh, some of them have a, 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 a smaller front-end charge. Some have no front-end charge, but they do have a 1% annual fee every year. Um, it, you know, so those, they're not as bad, but I would prefer for you to go with the, um, with the no-load fund. I guess if you're going to do the commission fund, the C-shares are not that bad of a deal because you, you're not paying a huge amount up front. You are paying an ongoing 1%. They can get expensive over time, but it's, um, it's better than paying that big chunk and then moving on and then buying another fund and paying another big chunk or the B-shares, which completely penalize you plus have huge internal expenses that you're going to be paying for a number of years. Index funds are funds that just try to track the market. If you're looking at the, the technical definition, it's a mutual fund whose portfolio of stocks is weighted the same as the stock exchange index. An index fund is set up to mirror the performance of the stock index. I'm going to get into um, a discussion on efficient versus inefficient markets in a minute, and I think this will give you an explanation of why or when you would consider using an index fund. So hang in there and listen for that. And then um, in the last podcast... So that's the definitions, by the way. But in the last podcast, I gave you my opinion that for those of you that have less than $200,000, you should consider using either the Fidelity Freedom Funds or the Vanguard Target Retirement Funds. Because remember, those funds work where you basically choose the year that you think you're going to retire, and then they have a fund for you in five-year increments. Like if you know you're coming out of the workforce in 2030, they have a Freedom Fund 2030 or a Vanguard Target Retirement Fund or 2030. And I had some people who wrote me who said, you know, what are these funds? Because I thought, you know, you're recommending mutual funds and, uh, you know, these, these, are, these sound weird. They are mutual funds. If you actually go do the research and go to Morningstar.com, what they do is they have multiple funds within the fund that are um, changing based they have somebody who's managing them who is changing the allocation of all those individual separate mutual funds that are within that one fund based upon your age. So the closer you get to retirement date, um, the, the safer they become. They, they, they allocate more to bonds and money markets as you get closer to retirement. And what the reason I recommended these things, really it's twofold, is that they really provide um, you with a great deal of diversification with one simple investment. But the reason I threw out the $200,000 number is just because I think when you're first starting to save, you've got to be focusing on your primary goal is to accumulate as much in assets as you possibly can. Because there is something magical that happens around that $200,000 point. Let's talk about, let me give you an example. Market has a good year, you make 10%. If you have that $200,000 portfolio, it goes up 10%, you made $20,000. That's incredible. You feel really empowered when you see your money. There, there's something beautiful about the fact that your money generated something that really does impact your financial statement, your net worth statement. Twenty grand is a lot of money to earn without using your hands. It's nice when you actually see your assets generating income for you or, or wealth for you without you having to break your back and use your hands to do something. It's a very powerful thing. Whereas psychologically, 
You got twenty thousand dollars saved up. You make ten percent. You make two grand. Sure, two grand's a decent amount of money, but it's not going to change your financial life. So I, I tell you that you don't need to get caught up in all these crazy um, small decisions. When I think that there's options out there with some of these mutual funds that are fully diversified. Sure, you can do a better job if you can go do the diversification, but if you've got $20,000 or $50,000, does it make sense to own 15 to 20 mutual funds? I don't think so. So I think that you focus on what your primary goal needs to be to accumulate as much money as possible until you can reach that that threshold where really the gains are starting to compound upon each other. And, and that's the other thing. You think about it. You have $200,000. It makes 10%. Now you've got another twenty. You've got $220,000. If you get another year, because we get in a good run with another 10%, think about now you've picked up another two grand on top of that twenty. It, it's incredible what the compounding value uh, of interest, compounding interest, compounding growth can happen when you get that boulder rolling of, of, of asset accumulation. So that's what I'm trying to tell you is that, sure, focus on the diversification and the asset allocation once you've accumulated some of assets. Before then, I think that you're, you need to really find a good mutual fund that will do that job for you and you focus on just saving as much as you can. Now let's get back on track. Let's talk about how to choose a mutual fund. First, you guys need to know my thoughts on what is known in the industry as efficient market theory. This is one of those things that's um, you can get a you can go out there and, and poll advisors, and you'll get probably just as many different opinions. So this is one of those things that is not like I said, it's a theory. This is not an absolute, but I will give you my thoughts and opinion on it. First, let me tell you what it is. An efficient market, since everyone has the same information about a stock, is, is the premise that since everyone has the same information about a stock, the price of a stock should reflect the knowledge and expectations of all investors. The bottom line is that an investor should not be able to beat the market since there is no way for him or her to know something about a stock that isn't already reflected in the stock price. So, let's talk about this. What this is saying is that in this modern world, how could anybody beat anybody else because there's so much information out there and it's already reflected in the stock price? Well, I feel that that completely holds true on large U.S. companies. And the reason I feel that way is because if you think about it, when I say large U.S. companies, to be considered a large U.S. company, you have to have a market capitalization of over $10 billion. $10 billion. That's a lot of money. There's not many companies out there that are that big. There's really only approximately about a thousand of them in the United States. So if you take that there's a thousand large U.S. companies out there in the United States, but yet you can't throw a rock without hitting a financial advisor, a pundit, an analyst, um, or somebody who thinks they know more than everybody else about the... um, the, the, the investments, they're going to tell you how to manage your assets. How can you know any more than any one of those guys? Because let's talk about that we've now got the internet. we got the 24-hour business news channel, cable news channels like Bloomberg, CNBC, and other channels like that that always have the ticker scrolling across the bottom. And then we also, now we've got this new new thing that's occurring in a lot of areas. I know it's happened here in Atlanta, where you've even got... AM business channels. Like we have um, AM 1160, the CFO, 
down here in Atlanta that is um, that is talking about business and things that impact your personal finance 24 hours a day. So these are things that I think allow you to get information much quicker and sooner than in the past. And plus, everybody knows everything. So I just don't see how you could know any more than anybody else with those large cap investments because you have a gazillion advisors and pundits and analysts looking at these thousand companies. I think that it's just not possible because it's just um, there's just too much information that's being dispensed too quickly. Plus, let's talk about this. The two biggest things that impact your performance are taxes and fees. And if you t- talk about internal expenses, the average internal expense for a domestic mutual fund is 1.5%. Versus, you compare that to a, a good index fund, like the S&P 500 index that you, that you have like at Fidelity with the Spartan fund, it's 0.10%. So that's a, there's a 1.4% difference that that manager now has to outperform the market, has to first do the performance of the market, and then get another 1.4% better just to outperform and show better performance on their annual reports. That's a hard thing to do. And I think that's why if you go look at the 10-year running history, if you take an annualized 10-year um, average rate of return, you'll see that the S&P 500 beats 70%, approximately 70% of the managers out there. And, and I'll tell you another thing that's going on out there that causes some of this, is this is the dirty little secret of Wall Street, is that most managers are setting themselves up to be just like the index with a few minor changes. Go look at their portfolios. What you'll see is, is that they will buy pretty much the same holdings as the S&P 500, but then overweight in areas that they think have more opportunity. They're not going to risk, a manager is not going to risk too much and deviate too much from the S&P 500 if they have one of the big large cap funds because they're worried if they hang it out there and try to do something aggressive or against the grain, I should say, and they're wrong and their performance lags considerably behind the market, they're going to get killed. They might lose their job. They're going to change their whole life, so they won't do it. A lot of them, if they're running the big funds, they're just running modified index funds that charge much higher expenses than index funds. Go check out their portfolios. It's not hard to do. You can go to Morningstar.com. You can go to other things. Go look at their top 10 holdings. Look at the percentages. And I think you'll see a lot of them look a lot like the S&P 500. So with all of this explanation, I think you can tell that I believe that most investors should just use index funds. And... And exchange trade funds, because they're actually the, very much that exchange trade funds are index funds, essentially, to cover their large cap U.S. investments. I, I use the S&P 500. The only exception is if you have access to great funds like Dodge and Cox stock. And I've given you the symbol on the website. I'll go ahead and give it here, too. It's D-O-D-G-X. And Dodge and Cox stock has, you know, consistently outperforms the market. It is one of those great funds out there that I can't say enough great things about. If you have access to it in your 401k, consider looking at it. Or if you've got some relative that you've inherited some money from, consider looking at it. And the reason I'm saying this in these unique circumstances is because it's closed to new investors. And it's like most things, when it's really good, if you're not there first, it's closed to new investors. So 
Um, unfortunately, it's not available to most people out there. So if you've got access to Dodge and Cox stock through your 401k, consider looking at it. Otherwise, you're probably going to end up wanting to use the index fund. Let's talk about what's known as inefficient markets. I consider inefficient markets like the foreign and international stocks, small cap stocks. And when I say small cap stocks, um, remember that's companies in the United States that are less than $1 billion in size. Remember, if we're just recapping, less than $1 billion is a small company stock. Between $1 billion and $10 billion is considered a mid-cap stock. It's a company you probably, you know, is not as familiar with. might be like an H&R Block or something like that. Whereas a, um, a small cap stock is you wouldn't even know about it unless they probably had a factory in your town or you used their product. Um, and then greater than $10 billion is considered a large, uh, a large cap stock. So if we're talking about inefficient marketplaces, I- I'll tell you why I think that these markets are inefficient. You think about now in this day and time, you can invest in the Far East and Asia. You can invest in Europe. You can invest in South America. You can invest in any country or region that you want to. You can even, like, you know, I just gave you regions. But if you wanted to buy a Brazil fund, you could go find a fund company out there that has a Brazil fund. You can find a company out there that has a Japanese fund. There's all kind of funds that you can invest in now. And you think about each one of these countries or each one of these regions has thousands of individual stocks, hundreds of thousands of stocks within their countries. And there's only so many analysts out there reviewing these stocks. So this is the exact opposite situation of what I talked about with the U.S. large cap stocks. You actually could, it's hard to know which investments to buy because you have such a large range of things that you could go out there and buy. You might as well consider using a manager because they do consistently outperform a lot of their benchmarks. So you really want to consider using, when you have these inefficient marketplaces, you want to go out there and try to load up on these good managers, but you're asking yourself, how in the world can I find the good managers? And I'm about to get into that. So let's recap. The things that you need to consider is that on the large cap side, I think in the United States, I think you ought to use index funds. Save the cost. Remember the two biggest things that impact you are taxes and fees. You can lower your fees significantly. If you're buying the index funds, they're 15 times cheaper than buying the managers. So that's a great opportunity. Number two, if you're looking at international and small cap, buy the managed funds. I think that they're going to outperform if you find the right type of manager. And it's not too hard to do if you have the right tools. And that's a good segue right into talking about a tool that can help you figure out which type of funds that you want to be investing in. Because... And mutual fund investing is no different than anything else in the world. You make money by finding a good, the, the diamond in the rough fund manager that before everybody else gets there and the, and the, the fund closes its doors to new investors. Um, it's no different than real estate. It's no different than getting investing in gold. It's no different than investing in anything. You want to get there before everybody else does and then you know, lay your claim to it, and then you're in the door, and then when they close their doors because they've had so much success, they're featured as one of the top-performing mutual funds of the decade. You've already owned it. You've got that Dodge and Cox stock before everybody else does so you can sit back. So how do you find those funds? I think a great tool, and I'll put a link on the website, is that mutual fund screener that's available through the Yahoo Finance. 
If you go, um, there, like I said, there's a link there. Um, this tool will allow you to sort and filter through the ever-growing mutual fund universe. Because every year, let's face it, mutual fund companies are popping up. There's also funds that, you know, existing funds are adding new funds. Just like Fidelity, you wouldn't have found these freedom funds a few years ago. Now they're there. Vanguard has added these funds. So there's all these choices out there. And this tool allows you to sort and filter through the, the, the complete, uh, this huge database of mutual funds. And it allows you to sort, and these are some of the categories that I think you really ought to look at. The first is category. It's a key area that you might want to consider is because you can now fine-tune it from, you can go to, you know, small-cap value st- mutual funds. You can look at large-cap blend mutual funds. You can look at international and actually go by region. This thing, this tool really allows you to sort by all kind of different criteria. It also allows you to rank the, the funds within their category. And this is a great beneficial tool because if you think about it, a lot of times, Asset classes will fall out of favor. It's just like right now, real estate's starting to have a few hiccups. So that doesn't mean that you dump all of your real estate. You just want to make sure that your real estate fund is outperforming all the other real estate funds. So it's all relative to how well it's performing among its peers. So this this tool is going to allow you to go rank it within its category. It also allows you to go sort and filter based upon manager tenure. This is important because you don't want to go hire a manager that's fresh out of business school, just got his MBA. That's not who you want managing your funds. And uh, you, you laugh, you think that's crazy. But it was not uncommon during that crazy internet bubble time that you heard, saw stories about wealth managers um, or mutual fund managers that were managing millions and billions of dollars that were you know, still 27. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong. It's just that I think that if this is all you've got, all you've built up, you don't want somebody who's fresh out of school. You want to have somebody who's been there for the good times, the bad times. So you want to watch that manager tenure. Morningstar rating. This is somewhat, you know, it, it help, makes you feel a little bit better about the fund if it has a great Morningstar rating. It's not the only criteria. Like, I'm not bothered when I see a mutual fund that has a three-star rating because it just might be in an asset class. It's not doing as well right now. I only get nervous when I start to see one- and two-star funds. It also allows you to sort and filter by three- and five-year annualized return. And this is important because you can take into account, if you do the five-year, how this fund performed back in 2002 and see how it does when things are a little more bearish and you haven't had this great run like we've had really starting since the fall of 2002. So it helps you out if you can go look at that five-year return. It also tells you minimum initial investment. You know, a lot of you have sent me emails saying, hey, I'm fresh out of college. A lot of the funds you're recommending have minimum investments of $2,500, $10,000. I don't have that. What can I do? Here's your answer. Go to this mutual fund screener, sort by the criteria, and then put in that you have only $250, that you have $500 to invest. This will tell you some funds that pop up that are actually available to you. It also has a section where you can, it's titled front load. This is where you're going to be able to adjust the filter to allow only no load mutual funds. And then the last and probably one of the most important aspects of what you can sort by is expense ratio. It has a tool where it allows you to, to sort by the expense ratio, which is what, you know, remember, is what pays the manager. It's not a commission. 
It's only to keep the, the mutual fund operational. But I think the lower you can keep those internal expenses, the more you're going to have in your back pocket. Because remember, those taxes and fees really do add up and it do impact your long-term performance. So watch that expense ratio. So all this data can be a tremendous help in determining which funds will fit nicely into your diversified portfolio. Okay, next podcast, we'll go a little bit deeper. And um, I hope some of this has been really beneficial to you. I do want to go over, you know, I can't help myself. I've got to tell you guys about the Wealth Report, our print newsletter. Now, I've already explained how we have on the website an email newsletter that you can sign up for. But we also have a print newsletter called the Wealth Report. And this, the newsletter is only $29 a year. It provides you with a quarterly guide, to, you know, really to help you make the best financial decisions and keep you up to date with what's going on out there with this changing investment world. All the proceeds that I'm doing from this newsletter, the $29, directly help offset the cost of this podcast. Because let's remember that I'm not making any money doing this podcast, really. Um, I've got a lot more in the equipment that I have ever made from um, uh, the, the, the donations and the newsletter. So this is another way for me to help offset the cost. If you want to know what's in this this quarter's wealth report, we've got um, one of the topics is how mismanaged 401ks put many retirees in jeopardy. We've also got an analysis of variable annuities. We've got um, important planning changes that you need to take into account when you're filling out your retirement beneficiaries on your 401ks, on your IRAs. There's been some tax law changes that really provide some opportunities that you need to go look at. We've also got five economic indicators that you need to watch now. The market has been, you know, one of those crazy periods where a week and a half ago it was down, you know, three or four hundred points. Now it's been up the last few days. You need to know what's going on out there, and here's some economic indicators that might help you to decipher what's going on. We've also got in this report a checklist of estate planning essentials. If you've got, if you've ever wondered what you need to be doing to make sure that you're taking care of your loved ones, if something should happen to you, we've got it in this quarter's wealth report. So I'd love for you to sign up. It's the same newsletter I send out to my actual real wealth management clients. You can subscribe by either going to PayPal and sending um, payment through my my PayPal email account, which is brian at money-guy. You can donate at the site. If you just go to money-guy.com, you'll notice there's a donation button on the left side. You can just donate to us. Put in the note that you'd like to get the wealth report, and we can make that happen for you. Or you can just send a normal snail mail and, and um, write me a check made payable to my company, which is Preston Financial. And I've got the address on the um, Money-Guy website. So check that out. And I'd love to have you join in and be a member of the um, Wealth Report family so we can keep you posted on what's going on out there in the financial world. Until the next podcast, may God bless you with good health, wealth, and future opportunity. This is Brian. I'll talk to you soon. Money Guy podcast is hosted by Brian Preston, and Brian Preston is a partner with Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management. Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management is a registered investment advisory firm regulated by the Securities and Exchange Commission in accordance and compliance with securities laws and regulations. Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through the Money Guy podcast. 
The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice.